Turn with me to the book of Acts. I'm just going to start with prayer. Father, we come this morning. We ask that you would fill us afresh with the Spirit of God, that Christ would be exalted. We pray, Father, we come with expectant hearts. We want to hear from the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we pray that your word would be clear. We pray that Christ would be exalted. We pray that the Spirit would move on us. We pray for that soul who doesn't know you. I pray that they, he or she would repent in Christ and enter into this love, enter into this feast that we have, which will be going on forever and ever. Help me to preach. Help the folks to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts? Acts chapter 3, this is the second portion of the sermon that we're going to go through that Peter has been preaching after he healed the lame beggar in Acts chapter 3 verses, let's see, we're going to start at 19. Um, if you want notes, I think there are some notes. Does, if anyone wants notes, there's notes in the back. Sometimes I'm hard to follow, so it's good to have a track of where I'm going, okay? But there's some notes if you want to follow. I've also electronically emailed many of you guys. Uh, if you want that in the future, just you can go ahead and email me. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 26. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him. You shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward, also announced these days, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. I have a dear, dear relative, and I remember many years ago I was speaking to him, and his career started to take off, and he loved what he was doing such that he gave up everything for it. He would leave family, he would travel all over the place, and that's all he ever wanted to do. In fact, his career became an idol in his heart. He knew full well about the gospel. He knew full well about Christ and what he has done. He believed in the truth that Christ did come to die on the cross for the sins of man. He believed in the forgiveness of Christ. And when I say belief, his belief was an intellectual assent. He held to it. But rather he wanted to pursue his idol. He knew the truth of it, but his life remained the same. Bent towards his sin, bent towards his self. 
Sometimes even the things that he pursued, even for himself, they weren't necessarily sin in itself, but that it was absent from God, absent from any, uh, any notification from God, any instruction from God, any desire to please God in it. See, man in himself will not turn to Christ, but rather stay in his sin. But isn't a blessed thought that Christ still works in the hearts of men and women and young folks. And he turns them. God gave this passage to you so that you would leave your life of sin and self and turn to Christ. God gave this passage to you so you would leave your life of sin and self and turn to Christ. If you don't know the Lord, if you want to apply this to yourself, if you don't know him, this is Peter's plea to you by the Spirit to turn to him. If you do know him, you would continue and excel still more in repenting, in living a life that is changing more and more into the conformity of his son. Now, the whole passage, as we, as we saw, Peter was preaching this sermon after he healed the beggar, and they were saying, by what means? How did he do this? And Peter says, why are you guys marveling? Why are you wondering? And now Peter is going to turn. We see in verse 19, he turns, and now he addresses them. That his information that he has just let go, the preaching of, of Christ and, and what he has done and their uh, indictment of, of murdering him, framing Christ, demands a response. See, the gospel demands a response. It's not simply an offer of salvation, but it demands a response, something to be obeyed. But the whole passage from 19 to 26 really revolves around the simple word repent and return. Everything else is built on it. He says in verse 19, therefore, repent and return. Turning to Christ, we, we call this repentance. Now, repentance, repent, therefore, and return. We understand that as, as we do Bible study, and I always joke with the young folks, if you see a therefore, you got to see what it's therefore and we know what peter is talking about he's he's saying because of this repent because of all the things that are listed repent it is in connection this therefore is in connection with the jews unbelief look at verse 12 it says but when peter saw this he replied to the people men of israel why are you amazed at this or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we have made him walk they didn't believe they didn't understand it was connected with the Jews' unbelief. He says, therefore, repent. It was connected with the framing of Christ. Verse 13, it says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate. Therefore, repent. It's in connection of the rejection of Jesus. Notice in verse 14 to 15, But you disowned the holy and righteous one, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. It's in connection with the miracle that was done in Jesus' name, verse 16. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him was given through his perfect health in the presence of you all. Therefore, repent. It's in connection with their ignorance. Look at verse 17. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, and though it's a willful ignorance, it was an ignorance. And he says, therefore, repent. 
It was in connection with the prophecies concerning the Messiah, verse 18. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that as Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent. Now, before we move on, we have to define our terms. What does repent mean? We know that the word, as we have discussed in the past, it's from the word metanoia, which means to change your mind. It is to change one's mind. It is to be converted to. It, is, it includes a sense of remorse, regret, or a feeling of sorry. It is a thought and an attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. It's a change of thought and attitude of how to think and believe and how to behave. It's a change in one's purpose. So as before, as we are unbelievers, we are chasing after the world. We are chasing after self, our own desires, and we seek after the world. And we forsake Christ, and as, as God causes us to see his beauty, and God causes us to be saved, what happens is we are changed, and we move so that we would express faith into Christ, we would believe Christ, but we would turn away from sin and self. That is repentance. That is repentance. Now, here he's saying... Repent, and we don't see it, but it's in the second person plural, which means you all repent. We all must come through this way. He says repentance is basically, if you were to think about it, it's the other side of Christian belief, Christian trust in Christ. It's used interchangeably because it's so connected with believing. Notice in Acts 16.31, he says here, uh, in the midst of the Jews, he asked them, he goes, you must repent. In Acts 16.31, they say, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. In Acts 19.4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. But notice, even the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, he connects belief and repentance, and they're never separate. You have to see this verse. I want you to see it. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Mark chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, second book. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. You notice he says here, now after John, verse 14, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, look at verse 15, notice, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, here it is, okay, repent and believe, repent and believe in the gospel, they are two sides of the same coin, okay, now sometimes there's, just let me stop for a bit of clarification, okay, Repentance in and of itself is not a work. Okay? Repentance is an attitude. It's a changing of the mind. It is a, I will no longer, it is the, the attitude that says, I will no longer be dominated by sin and self. I will be dominated by Christ. It is the posture of the heart. Okay? And I could prove it to you. And just so that you see, in Matthew chapter 3, go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. 
just for a point of clarification. We are not adding works to salvation. This is what folks who don't believe that Christ actually changes people. He says, a lot of people say, well, see, if you add repentance, you're adding works. No, we are not. Repentance is not a work. Okay? Fruits of repentance are, but repentance in and of itself is not a work. Repentance is just like belief. It is a posture of the heart. Notice in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7. But many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now notice here's John the Baptist, okay? Therefore, here it is, okay? What does it say? Bear fruit in what? Keeping with repentance. The repentance is not a work. The fruit that comes from it is, right? The posture of the heart is not a work. The life decisions, the listening to counsel in scripture, the uh, desiring fellowship and desiring the word of God and, and all these changes, all of those things are a result of the posture of the heart that God has caused. Belief and repentance they are two sides of the same coin. And, and if, as we're going back to Acts chapter 3, he says to repent and return, to turn to God. Now, as if this wasn't more than enough, God himself gives four motivations for you to turn from your sin and to turn to Christ. I'm just saying all of this, to turn from your sin and to turn to Christ, it's just another way of saying repent, right? So the first motivation, it's amazing. He doesn't even have to give us these motivations. You understand? But he wants to layer and bless us with as we count the costs. What does this mean? That you have to give up your life. That in my heart, I am no longer Lord. That I can't just do whatever I want to do. That I can't decide to do whatever I want to do. That I am no longer Free to do this. I have been bought with a price if I decide to turn to Christ. You see, in, in this day and age, in this, in this, I don't even know how to say this, this ambiguous, foggy, unclear vision of what the gospel is, now these churches, all these churches, are, um, especially I would even say North County, they teach a gospel without Repentance. They teach a belief in Christ and they don't talk about a changed life. They, they teach an easy believism where, where their lives don't have any effect anymore. And they could do whatever they want. And yet Christ says, no, believe and repent. They're never divorced. They're always together. And so he didn't have to do this. But he gave us four motivations to repent. It's amazing, right? He could have left us in our squalor, judged us for our sin, but he gives us motivations. Notice, the first one is you will receive complete forgiveness. We need to stop, and we, we, we talked about this a little bit. We need to stop and savor this. Verse 19b says, therefore repent and return so that, causal statement, right? So that your sins may be wiped away. That's your sins 
may be wiped away. The word there for sins is it's a departure from doing what is right. It is wrongdoing. It is missing the mark. It is a failure. It is a fault. It, it implies all the sins you have committed or will commit. And he, he puts a personal pronoun, pronoun there, your sins. He is the appropriate Savior for all of your sins. you got to stop and think. Everything I have done, yes, he's appropriate for me. Everything you have done, yes, he's appropriate for you. If you have sinned a mountain, he could clear it all. And then he says, all of your sins may be wiped away. And we talked about this last week. The word therefore wiped away means to be erased, to be obliterated, to be removed, to be blotted out. The written record of what you've done has been done away with. The record of misdeeds has been eliminated. As we said last week, one commentator explained it, that the word uh, wiping away is what they did because in those days as they had papyrus, they would put the ink and when they would write on the papyrus, there was no acid in the ink. And so in those days, the ink would not bite into the papyrus. And so if they wanted to erase it, all they needed was a damp cloth and they just wiped all the words away. And it was no longer there. Colossians speaks about this. Same word. Oh, it's too sweet. Go there, please. Please go there. It's too sweet. Colossians. Colossians. Here's. Look at Colossians 2.13. Verse 13, you were dead in your transgressions. You had no inclination for God. You cannot decide for God. You cannot regenerate yourself. You were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us. Here's sweetness, brothers and sisters. All of our transgressions. All of our transgressions. Every evil thought. Every action you've done in the past. Even the things you will do in the future. Your failures in the future. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. Left me white as snow. Notice he says here. Having canceled out the certifi certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. There is this certificate of debt. And if you were to imagine Jesus, uh, God the Father, has every single thing you have ever done against him. This is why it is, a, it is, um, it is an offense to say that you can work your own salvation. It is an offense to Christ that, you say, that says that you can earn it on your own. That you could help Christ save you. It says here, he cancels the whole certificate of debt. When, you, when they look at your life, when God looks at your life, there is this certificate of debt that is unpaid unless you come to Christ. All, every evil, wicked thought, every, every evil, wicked deed that you have done, God has seen. You think no one has seen. God has seen. 
the sins in your secret closet. God has seen the bitterness in your life and in your heart, your hatred for others, your jealousy, your envy, your lust, your anger, your murderous heart is on that certificate of debt. And he wipes it away with his blood. He wipes it away. This is not an old theme. Just listen. Just sit there and listen, okay? Psalm 51.9 says, Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. Oh, man. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. No, God is, does not have cosmic amnesia. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't remember sins. What he is saying is that he will not take your sins into account anymore. Isaiah 44, 22, I have wiped your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. You will receive complete forgiveness. Why would you fight this? If you do not know Christ or you simply just know about him, but you know your heart, in your heart, he is not your Lord. You've never turned. Are you still calling the shots? You've never turned. Are you still the Lord of your life? You have not turned. You've not repented. But you could come to know him even in an instant as you're sitting here. He can forgive you right where you are seated. Believe in Christ. Repent from sin and self and let him wipe it all away. Let him cleanse you. Yes, to the Jews, even framing and killing their own Messiah, that too can be forgiven of them if they but come. You would think, oh, I've done so much. You don't know what I've done. I have done so much. You don't know the sin, the, the skeletons in my closet. I've done so much. You don't know what I've done. Peter is offering them salvation. These are the same folks who framed and murdered Christ. You can have forgiveness and he will wipe away even your murder of Christ. Think about that. You can't. I, I don't think I've outdone that. In sin, you can't outsin Christ. Oh, saint, you cannot outsin him. If you're struggling with sin, understand it's been wiped away. You can't outsin him. Complete forgiveness is so rich, this would have been more than enough. But Christ lathers on blessing if you but turn. If you repent, not only will you be forgiven, but secondly, you will secure a bright future in him. Not the security in yourself, but you will secure a bright future in him. First, verses 19 to 21, a new era. Notice he says there, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This times of refreshing is a technical term for the millennial kingdom to come. 
There are word pictures in the Old Testament of blessings. In Ezekiel 34, 26, uh, he uses this kind of, these, these kinds of phrases. He says, I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season. There will be showers of blessing. Isaiah 44, 3 says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descend, uh, descendants. It's a time of satisfaction. Uh, Joel 2 says, You shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Isaiah 35.10 says, And the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. These times of refreshing is not simply an unfolding of history, but it is because of the one who is orchestrating history. This comes from the presence of the Lord, which brings us to our next point. Repenting, repenting grants you a bright future within the new era of the millennial kingdom. Let me just stop there. That's where I want to be. Don't you? I think I talked about this. We were at uh, the pastor's conference in Vallejo. And I was talking, I think I was talking to one of the missionaries. Oh, I was talking to Tan Molina, the one we support him in Spain. And we were talking about all the work that we have to do and all the things that has to be done and the preaching that has to be done and the training that has to be done. And we were encouraging one another. And, but... At times it gets daunting, doesn't it? Church work is daunting. It is difficult. There is much resistance from the world, right? From within, much resistance. But we looked at each other and, and we said, there's going to be a time when it's all over. Amen? I look forward to this time of refreshing. When Christ rules and he sets everything right. And so that comes to the next point under you will secure a bright future. It's a coming Messiah, verses 20 to 21. Look at verses 20 to 21 of Acts chapter 3. Turn back to Acts chapter 3. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. He is the coming Messiah, and it says, and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. Jesus is the one they were waiting for, yet they rejected him. You remember, John, the writer John, in John 1.11 said, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But this Messiah was coming. This promised one who would set all things right. This promised one who would refresh his people. This promised one who had paid for their sins. He would change all these things. And it says, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration. That is the millennial kingdom. About which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. This coming Messiah is not a new thing. In fact, the Jews were expecting him. But they didn't expect him to come the way he did come, to die, right? 
but this is not a new thing. We understand that the uh, Messiah was promised even in, um, in, in Luke. Jesus tells himself in Luke chapter 24, Jesus tells the, the disciples there, he tells them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Notice, in the law of Moses, that is the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, in the prophets and in the Psalms, that is the wisdom literature, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You will have a bright future. There will be a new era because of the coming Messiah. He's going to set all things right. You ever just go through life and the trial is so bad, you just think, it's, man, it's just broken. Life is broken. You ever feel that way? I was, we, were talking, um, we were talking to um, the youth group. We had a great youth group. Uh, Mike was teaching about the wisdom of God, the incomprehensibility of God, how, how he controls all things in our lives. And we were talking about an illustration. Um, sometimes, you know, during halftime, you have this artist of a football game or a basketball game. And you see him, they're playing all this dramatic music and he has this big canvas and he's splashing paint like this and he's going like this and, and the music is almost ending and he's like this and like this. And I, and I said, man, that picture's kind of ugly. I, I don't understand that picture. I'm not an artist. I don't understand abstract art, right? And then at the end, the music starts to climb and climb, and then all of a sudden, he turns it upside down, and it's a picture of the Marines holding the flag in Iwo Jima. And you're like, whoa, how did he do that? That was fantastic, right? Can I tell you something? Sometimes our lives are are like the picture before it's turned upside down. And all you see is a mess. And you can't make heads or tails of it. Right? Why is it happening like this? Our dear Uncle Jose came here to plant a church with us. Why is it happening like this? We didn't know it was going to happen like this. Why is it happening like this? And it looks like a mess. Andre loses his job. And we're saying, what is going on? How is this going to praise you, God? I just got to trust that it will. It looks like a mess. And then the master artist comes. Amen? He comes and he flips that page over. And then you see it in its beauty as he unveils history. Oh, brothers and sisters, if your life, if this world, if this nation is broken and families are destroyed and relationships have been soured 
and you, you can't make heads or tails, and, and the nation tells you what is right and what is wrong is now right, and what is right is wrong. You can't make heads or tails. It's, it's, it's too overwhelming. I can't control it, God. I don't have any control of this. The master artist will flip the page. The Messiah will come and turn it. It is his era, and he will rule forever and ever, and you will be refreshed in him, brothers and sisters. This is not the end of the story. This is just after Genesis 3. You understand? He will reverse every curse of Genesis 3. Every single one. Why? To bring him glory. Amen? Turn to Christ because you will receive complete forgiveness. Turn to Christ because you will secure a bright future in Him. Thirdly, turn to Christ because you will escape deserved judgment. You will escape deserved judgment. Look at verses 22 to 24. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren to him. You shall give heed to everything he says to you, and it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Notice the gracious warning the Lord shall raise up for you a prophet like me. Who is that? That is Christ. He is like Moses, right? He is from your brethren. He had to be Jewish. He had to be from Israel to him. You shall give heed to him in everything he says. He is a prophet like me, Moses, known as a prophet, as the preeminent prophet in the Old Testament, the giver of the law, who saw the glory of God himself, said there must be one who is like me to come. You will give heed in everything he says to you. Verse 23 shows us the terrible consequence. It shall be that every soul that does not heed the prophet, that prophet, shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Every soul, without exception. Notice he says, that does not heed. And he was, he was in context, he's talking about the Jews who did not listen. They would not listen. Some great verses to show this, and it shows our very hearts, okay? Go ahead and try and share the gospel. Yeah, we have bro our brother Z. He's always sharing the gospel, right, out, out on the street. And I can tell you, he has some people who listen, but I can tell you, not even asking him, the majority of people don't. Because the heart of man doesn't want a Christ over them even the religious ones. John 5.39 says, You search the scriptures, but you think in them you have eternal life. In these that bear witness of me, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 23.37 says, Jesus is saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her, how I often wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Luke 24, 25 says, And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things, to enter into glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. He says those people who do not listen will be utterly destroyed, rooted out, sent to hell forever. 
there was a standing testimony from all the prophets all the way to Samuel. But let me, let me just stop here and pause and to think about its implications for us. The word there is every soul that does not heed that prophet. Okay. The word for heed means to not listen attentively. All that it takes for you to be damned for your sins is simply not heeding. And I want to highlight this. Because if you're brought here by mom and dad, okay, young folks, and you think as long as I just warm the seat, mom and dad will be off of me, let me tell you something. Simply by you not heeding and obeying what God has called you to do, not believing in Christ and not repenting, just not listening will send you to hell. The freedom that is in Christ, you're just not listening and not hearing it. Maybe a friend is telling you to repent, a parent or a relative, and you simply are not listening to what the word of God says. Please listen, or you will be utterly destroyed. You will suffer forever. Revelation 14 says, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Maybe you're here today, and you haven't been listening. I beg you, in Christ, listen. Turn to Christ so that you will receive complete forgiveness. Turn to Christ so that you will secure a bright future. Turn to Christ so that you'll escape deserved judgment. And lastly, turn to Christ and you will receive promised favor. Promised favor. Look at verses 25 to 26. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Notice in verse 25, the conduit of blessing. It is you who are the sons of the prophets. Peter reminds them. In, um, in Romans chapter 3, Paul says, What advantage has a Jew or what benefit is of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. It was through the Jews that the word of God came. It was through the Jews that the covenant came. It was through the Jews that the Messiah came. And so he tells them, you have this wonderful blessing of being exposed to this truth. And notice the scope of the blessing in verse 25. Which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, this unilateral covenant that he was going to bless Abraham. He says, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here is where we rest. This, this covenant was given to the, uh, to the Israelites. And it says, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it is by this blessing through this people, because of the word of God came, because the Messiah came, because the covenant came through there, 
All of the nations, all of the families will be blessed. Psalm 67 says, Let the nations be glad, sing for joy, for thou wilt judge the people with uprightness and guide the nations on earth. Their source of gladness, their source of joy is because of the blessings that we receive in the Messiah. Revelation 5.9, we know that it is the work of Christ. He says, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, that for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. All of the nations of the families, all of the families of the earth, all of the, all of the tribes of the earth will be blessed because of this people God has selected to be an oracle of blessing. And we are to receive that. And I want to turn here to the depth of this blessing. He says, for you, first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you. Now, look at the phrasing of it. By turning every one of you from your wicked ways. He sent him to bless you. How, what's the blessing? Okay. Here, in this context, what is the blessing? Is it land, seed, blessing? You know, that's the Abrahamic covenant. But here, what is the blessing? He says, he sent him to bless you by turning every one of you. Here's, this is interesting. Okay? Notice its implications. By turning every one of you. Ultimately, what is the reason any of us turn? See, here, Peter is calling them to repent. And as I've been Repeating his imperatives, his commands, repent, turn, turn, turn. I know full well that folks will not turn unless he turns them from their ways. Ultimately, why did you turn? Because he turned you. So why am I always asking you to repent? I'm asking because the Savior uses the appeals. He uses preaching so that you could hear loud and clear what are the benefits and the disadvantages of turning away from him. And he uses it to awaken the conscience. But ultimately, we know we are weak men. We can't change souls. We can't cause people to be more godly. Who does the work? He turns them. Who turned you? Who changed your mind? Who stepped into your history and arrested you? It was Christ. I was pursuing my sin. I was chasing after it. And he stepped into my life, caused me to feel the weight of my guilt. I was healing. I was hearing preaching every Sunday and I was feeling the weight of my guilt. And I'll tell you, I would have continued on. Even if I felt guilty, I would have continued on my sin. I would have kept chasing it until he brought me to my face. And I got sick of my sin. He turned me. Did he turn you? Did he turn you? Look at this. Acts chapter 11, since we're in the book of Acts. I'll prove it to you. This repentance doesn't come from yourself. It doesn't come because all of a sudden you woke up and you think you're better. You're turning a new leaf. Acts chapter 11. 
Now, people in Jerusalem, they're figuring... They can't figure out how Gentiles got saved, okay? And Peter, the same one who is, who is preaching, repent, okay? This is why folks can't understand this. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that God works in people's life, but we call people to repentance. God tells us to do both. Let him take care of the results. But look, this is Peter's theology, this is his philosophy of ministry. This is how he brings people to himself. This is how Christ brings people to himself. Okay? Acts chapter 11 and verse 18. Verse 17. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift, that is the gift of tongues at that time, a transitional gift to authenticate their salvation, not needed now because we have the word of God, right? He says, as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? There's always been folks who say, no way could that person be saved. Peter goes, I can't stand in God's way of who he saves. He decides who he saves. How do you know? Well, their lives are different. Now look at it. Where does it come from? Verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, this is, notice, this is their elder meeting, right? They're sitting down. They can't figure this out. Then he says, well then, God has, what? Granted to the Gentiles also, what? The repentance that leads to life. The word there for granted is the word didomi, which means simply to give. He gave them repentance. Repentance is a gift, just like belief is, easily provable. Life change, new attitude, a desire to obey Christ, a desire to hear his word, a desire to be with the fellowship of the saints is given. So, Jesus does not just save you. This is what's wonderful. Go back to Acts 3, just a few pages back. What is his blessing? It's on top of this forgiveness. Okay. Look at it here. Let's look at the text. It says, Jesus does not just save you from the punishment of sin by granting forgiveness. Remember, he wipes it away. This is often the only aspect of his saving work that is talked about. But notice, if you look carefully, what is it saying? This text is saying that Jesus not only saves you from the punishment of sin, but also saves you from the ongoing dominion of sin in your life. Why? Because he turned you. I don't have to be dominated by these sins anymore. I don't have to follow these sins anymore. I don't have to have my, my thoughts ruled by my bitterness anymore. I have Christ. But he has turned me to focus after him. Amen? Oh, I love this. I am saved from the punishment of sin. I am saved from the dominion of sin. And as our brother John MacArthur says, then you will be saved from the presence of sin in heaven. You are not slaves to sin anymore. Because why? He turned you from your wicked ways. Where would you be? 
where would you be without Christ? Where? Destroying relationship after relationship. Families destroyed. But Christ turned you from your wicked ways. Amen. A lot of us have some bad histories. Bad families where we come out of. You can start anew. Amen. In Christ. This is where it starts anew. You have a new heritage in Christ. So the title of this sermon was Turn to Christ, but in actuality, if you have turned to Christ in an ultimate sense, it was Jesus who turned you from your wickedness. He turned you from your sin, from destroying your soul. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Stop fighting. Father, we thank you that we can trust in the Savior. We thank you that Christ works in the hearts of people. We thank you that we can glory in you. I just pray if there is someone who is looking, not understanding, I pray if you are working on their hearts that they would come to you. Save them, God. Save them when they go home. Save them in their room by themselves. Cause them to bow the knee and to believe upon Christ and to turn from a life of sin. Thank you for this time. Thank you for turning us rebel sinners. Thank you for interrupting my life, God. Thank you. We would all be lost. Thank you for interrupting our lives. <laughs>